Yeah, so I think first things first are the follow-up. Always the follow-up. Um, from last week, which was on cloud tools. Yep. Did you have anything? Um, a little bit. We were just discussing before we came on air uh, about some... I've been doing a bit of cloud stuff uh, with Google's cloud, which I think in general is quite approachable, but be prepared to sync much more time than I'm used to with yeah. this stuff because I use the higher level tools. Mm. Uh, I've actually been tackling like a vaguely interesting problem. It's not a website, which is my usual bag that I get paid money for. But um, yeah, like it's, it is quite well documented to be fair and quite friendly. And they're very keen. They give you a lot of, I think I've got like over $300 of credit. I don't know how that's happened, but it's just there, which is pretty good. Um, but yeah, like it, it seems fine, but yeah, I've, I've sunk day two days which maybe isn't that long but it's been quite long and yeah quite difficult so but the the main thing i would i was thinking that i would encourage the world to go and do is build higher level developer services around around using these other ones as like the building blocks that would be great because yeah I, I can't deal with I can't deal with doing them directly. I, I guess because Google is actually third, right? So I, I, maybe that's why they're giving you so much free cash because obviously yeah. trying to compete with behind Azure, are they? Yeah, hmm. Amazon I think's one and Azure's two and Google's three. I think Amazon don't seem to give. I've looked at the alternatives. I didn't look hard at Azure, but oh, um, it's, yeah, it's just different. Yeah, but the thing is, there's you can't really share experience between them. Amazon seems to be the least friendly. But yeah, like in terms of like, you just look at it and you're like, what the heck is it? Like they use a lot of their own, they invent terminology terminology and use that a lot. Mm. So they start using all these nouns that you're just like, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. And then there, there are nouns that are referring to other nouns you don't know. And then before you know it, you're like... Well, they have an acronym problem and they have... Right, I think actually quite good once you know what you're doing, but they, they expose a lot of detailed options inside on the web UI mm. so I think like I know Azure they don't do that and then if the point where you have to do anything more complicated they're like you have to use our web our command line API whereas I think Amazon there's still a line of things that you can't do on the website but you can do it that you get a lot further down the list of things that you need to be able to do and you can probably do most of them on the web mm-hmm. before it's like now you have to use the web API the command line or web API to do stuff Google's console is Pretty well done, I would say. It's, so I'd say it's, yeah, it's well done. I, I, I would go as far as that. And the docs are pretty well done. And the naming of things is in general good. Better. Than yeah, Amazon. yeah. I know Amazon have a particular problem with naming. I used, I've used quite a lot of um, cloud stuff recently because I also wrote a thing which takes uh, like an audio file of me speaking and produces um, a subtitles file so that I could subtitle, like kind of YouTube style subtitle. Mm. And I found out why uh, Alexa and Google Home and all these things don't work super well because when I put my voice into them, there's certain words which it consistently gets wrong, many around my funny accent. <laughs> so, so, it's all helping though. Yeah, certain words. Going just... back into the AI. Oh, that's true. Maybe soon they'll know when I say our. See, you're probably listening to me say our and you're wondering what word I'm actually saying. Yeah, oh, which one are you saying? I'm O-U-R. Oh, right. I thought the other one, actually. You thought our. And it thinks, it thinks A. Well, that is wrong. Ah. Uh, you can see why, though. It sounds like I'm saying ah. Uh. 
Oh, and I just said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's in. But I think I think as a human, you can definitely differentiate the difference. It does. It's. I mean, in general, these things are supposed to be good with context. But in my experience, it's pretty naff with context. It was interesting. It, I reckon it got twenty percent of what I said wrong. Some of it was very technical, so I'll give it the benefit of yeah. the doubt. I was saying the word "div" a lot from HTML. And it's thinking like the, the the school slang word. No, no, it wouldn't. It, occasionally, it got it as div, which I was surprised because I don't think that's a real word. No, but um, what did it actually come out with? Sometimes div, and then other oh, time. just like rat. Sometimes two words. What, does it ever just be like? Does it ever just be like? I no. can't translate that. No, which is probably its mistake because it should just be like x x x. Yeah, right? I just don't know. Yeah, unknown in like <laughs> bold. In, in, yeah, in bold or like angle brackets, so you know. Yeah, because it doesn't. But what is really cool is the API that you call, it gives you all the words it thinks it is and the time in the file that it happened. And it's the time in the file that was actually really useful. So I got all my subtitles built. So I wrote a script which does subtitles and like produces a subtitles format. And all the times were spot on. So it's yeah. a good starting point to then go and edit it all by hand, which was a soul-destroying task that I had to do. But yeah, higher level things and just with developer usability in mind from sort of the Stripe school of thinking or the maybe the Zite now school yeah. of thinking is good. But yeah. Did you have any thoughts about mm. No, I think on the cloud stuff I think I don't think there was anything else. I, I obviously it came across I think when I listened to it again that I have a very Amazon focused slant, but that's only because I've used a lot of their services and know my way around enough to be dangerous um, and haven't used um, Google's one. So I don't really know the difference, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I like them and I want to use them more where it makes sense. I, I like, I do use Amazon's route 53 for my personal domains. Um, but other than that, it comes down to cost, right? Like the problem with Amazon, I think I said it in the, in the episode, it costs are a bit too opaque just to set something up and just leave it. Cause you just don't know. Mm. what's going to happen yeah like i looked at uh, my nas that i have here i actually looked at having that in the cloud in amazon's um cloud and then just having a permanent vpn from here to there yeah because my internet's fast enough yeah, yeah it probably wouldn't make a difference yeah. um but it it came out when i looked at it to like a couple of years ago like it'd be 200 dollars a month or something wow. to have the equivalent of However many terabytes of storage I've got, ten terabytes or whatever. That's madness, and that's the problem. And then you're paying that forever, which is what I said in the in the, the episode as well. So. Mainly that begs for me the question: What the hell are you storing? There? Well, yeah, stuff. <laughs> it's some sort of nuclear schematics or something. <laughs> I don't, it's probably not even that big. I don't know. Oh yeah, but the thing is, like, if you want, like, I have ten terabytes of which I'm using, say, four, but on Amazon. You have to provision the ten at the start, and then you're paying for the ten the whole time, right? Mm. So even if you're not using it, that's the comp- that's the difficulty. I think it's just the conf- configuring these things. Like it can do everything you'd ever want, but it, it's very manual to yeah. configure them. So for quite common use cases, it becomes a complete faff, and you're writing loads of code and finding all the edge cases mm. and sort of managing things manually, and it's just kind of like, ugh. What they really need is, I I think you we were talking about before in terms of the complexity and the developer focusing, they have some of those on Amazon. They need to group the services better. Mm. They need to be like, this is low level stuff. This is abstracted, you know, yeah, higher level yeah. stuff and higher level stuff again. Cause they, it's just, but they just, when you look, when you're logged into the AWS console, you're like, let me go into another thing. They have some 
grouping, but it's very vague. And the thing's so big, you're like... Yeah, it's massive. And the naming is so bad. The if you don't know what you want... Like if you don't know that you want to use S three because it's a bucket storage system, then you have no you're gonna you're never gonna find that. S three. What a name. Simple storage service. Three. Well SSS. Oh I see. It's like S cubed really, but they called it S three. S to the three. Yeah. Then then you can't do a you can't use a hat. Mm. Well they didn't want to support the little superscript three. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um Yeah. No, that's that that was that was that was it from me. The one thing I did notice actually and I'm really going to make more of an effort today, is that there was a couple of things I said where I couldn't actually hear what I said. There was like two words in the entire episode where I was like, I don't, what was that word? What did I say? Oh, I didn't have that. <laughs> it was, I don't know what it was, but I definitely had that problem. Oh. So I was like, well, I need to speak clearer, clearly. I didn't I didn't notice that. Yeah, there's only a couple. Only It was two words in the whole thing. But oh. I was like, that's annoying, because if we're recording this, people are listening to it, they're going to be like, what the hell has he said? The other thing that the episode made me think about was, we talked about it a little bit, but the fact that software talking to one another, which is one of the big benefits of the cloud, maybe not so much with like the infra low level stuff, but with like Stripe and other things. And, you know, like for a good one, Slack, every, every tool now, you'll be like using an, a logging tool and it's like, do you want your exceptions to go into Slack? And you can just like click a couple of buttons and yeah. it just happens. I mean, and they have a simple webhook API as well. Yeah, like that you can just post to it. Really easy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think because everything's centralized and on private servers, it works. But actually, maybe in the future there'll be a way to decentralize it, which solves a lot of the problems where somehow you can run all this software. But we don't really feel like we're close to that because you don't really want to run your own software because it's a pain in the butt. Maybe someone will make something which will make it easier to run other people's software and also not steal it. I, I don't know. Too many hard problems to be solved. Yeah. It feels like, or maybe like everything will be like open source, but that feels unlikely too because we don't have a monetization model that really works. Mm. Yeah, particularly with open source software. Yeah, which I think is a whole topic for another video, but it's something I've been, uh, another video. We do it when we do it. There's no <laughs> we, can, we can record it on video. Yeah, I don't think anyone <laughs> will want to see that. I think... Um, it does feel like software needs more monetization models than it has now. Yeah. And open source is... A isn't, really... a, isn't a monetization. It's just here's something for free, right? Some people have monetized it by providing other services around it. like Yeah, like a Java, the Java model, I guess. Mm. This is a traditional one where you have a free version and you can pay for support. On top, or the Red Hat model. Red, so. Hat, Red, Hat, yeah. Red Hat and MySQL, I think, have done quite well out of it. And maybe Docker are trying to do quite well out of it. Mm. But you need something really big. And... It's not a great monetization model because open source software, like everybody's using it all the time to build stuff, but not paying yeah. for it. It's really strange. If you think of MySQL, right? Like how many people who who are using MySQL are actually like, you know what? It's serious enough for us that we need to pay yeah, for the support. Must like be like 1%. 1% yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that just feels like another problem that's kind of tying into why everything, Some of the, a lot of the problems we reference with, oh, you can't use it in this company and that company are because of those business model constraints that Slack are not going to give you a Slack to run locally because mm. then you're just like, oh, I took your source code or whatever, like, you know. Yeah, there is that risk, right, if, you, if you're putting something internally that once you give them that, they can do something malicious or yeah. not rely on you anymore because they can just build a compet- uh, an equivalent. Yeah, it's weird. Or, yeah. Although or- Atlassian basically revolve around that and they've done okay. So they, yeah. they've always, they were on-prem first before they were cloud-based, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. They had Jira years ago, you know. 
before yeah. it was they had their oh, of course yeah it was like a big deal when it went in the cloud and it's java as well so you could probably decompile all of their classes if you want probably why it's so good <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah but i don't i didn't really have anything else really i have had a little bit of feedback from a friend oh did of you ours. um not particularly insightful but i thought it was interesting anyway the first thing was that he was like do we want to use a line to finish the podcast mm-hmm. like your exit zero one mm-hmm. that you used and i was oh. unsure but i said i'd mention it yeah what do you think i think exit zero or exit one to a higher number depending on how the episode's gone <laughs> i was thinking about it on the way here actually i think you can only go up to 128 in linux for being technical Oh, is that? Yeah, I think there's a maximum. I don't know what it so is. I'd have looked like a right idiot if I'd have said exit 256. <laughs> well, know. it might be 256. I can't remember, but... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, maybe something like that. Maybe something... I wasn't sure. <laughs> I think it would I think it would be quite a good way to, to sign it off. Well, last, last week we ended with let's eat. So, you know, because we were just quite hungry and our food had turned up. <laughs> <laughs> abruptly finishing. I think abru- I quite like abruptly finishing, but yeah. Yeah. We'll have to think of funny things to say. And also the other thing that the same person texts me about, or sorry, WhatsApp me about, um, was once we'd agreed the name of the podcast, the first question in that episode that I asked you was, were you happy with the name of the podcast? Which he thought was quite funny. And I realised <laughs> that it wasn't a particularly excellent question <laughs> as we had given that name. Yes. And I was like, I wasn't sure where I was going to go. With that. I'm not going to be the next Michael Parkinson. I'm still... <laughs> no, not yet. Give it time. <laughs> I did have one piece of feedback as well from one of our loyal listeners, which, which was just that his grandmother's name is Marjorie. Oh, yeah, you told me about that. <laughs> which I thought was... I wonder if you'd subconsciously named it that because of you knew somebody... Vaguely no, I know. Why. My Mrs. Richard had a, has an, a business slash something acquaintance who's a slightly elder lady and she's called Marjorie. And uh, I think that's okay. what put it in my mind because right. I was like, I'm... I'm emailing a woman called Marjorie. Because for me, it was completely out of left field, which is I why I liked it. Realise as well, I totally can't spell Marjorie. I have no idea how to spell it. No, I mean, you've seen now. it twice or three times. I'm like, maybe this is right. Yeah. Google hasn't corrected me, so I'm assuming it's a spelling. There's like a spice called like Marjoram. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah, it's there is sim- one. Similar. And I'm always like, don't write that one. That's a spice. You'll look like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that was it from follow-up for me. More just had a couple of people listen and... A little bit of feedback, so I thought we can at least mention it so they, they feel appreciated and loved. Yep. All the Phillips. <laughs> His entire family. <laughs> yep. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk about today... What we want to talk about today is... I put it as office and bro in quotes culture. Is that what you thought it was? Programmers, yeah. Programmers. And, and just... Culture in offices and... Yeah. And Silicon Valley, I guess, as to well. To do with, like, programmer people. Yeah. Um, so this was my suggestion, yeah. mainly because it's something that you read about a lot in the news. Um, and, well, to start for me, is that this bro culture idea feels like it's more of an American Silicon Valley thing than it does here in the UK, is yes. my initial thought. Um, but similarly, everywhere I've worked has had a very poor female contingent of developers or related IT people. So then maybe that is a bro culture. I wasn't sure. As you know, I extensively research every episode before we come on air. And uh, on the train on the way here, I was thinking about programmer culture and I was thinking about, um, yeah, like the lack of women in software engineering. And then I started Googling all these stats because I didn't want to become. So I was so like, you have some stats. 
Uh, no, well, I just Googled them. Even- and now they've entered my mind and probably exited again. But, oh. but yeah, I was thinking, I, I was I was wanting to see like how many women do related university degrees. Yeah. One thing I will say about this episode is I'm very glad we get to edit it, but I feel the biggest risk is that in editing, we mess it up and then we'll say something horrendous that will be on the really internet. Offensive. For it. Yeah. Really, really offensive. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna, generally, we don't, we're not too offensive about these sorts of things, but we're, you never know. But well, I think it is, it is, it's important. And one of the things I want to talk about later is why bro cultures work, because in Silicon Valley, they've been very effective in some companies. Yeah. But anyway, so go, you have some stats for us. Go for the stats. I don't, know, I don't oh, actually have any stats, sorry. but I think, yeah, they're just... I was looking at... Because um, I think... I don't know what the... I'm not a HR person or a HR expert, which is like the people in... Like human resources, the people that deal with these sorts of issues in the bigger companies. But one of the ways of thinking about it is if you, ha- if you have certain criteria for your intake of people that you're hiring, I don't know if it's reasonable to expect to beat the ratio of men to women in the intake in what who you end up hiring. That seems like a bit of a lofty goal. So if only 25, say hypothetically, only 25% of computer science graduates are women and you're like, our target's 50 yeah. and we hire computer science graduates, well, yeah. that seems potentially unlikely if unless you're like prioritising hiring one sex over the other. So yeah. I think in my mind, if you work backwards, you should try and get more people to do the like correct education and then hope that you stay in parity with the ratios yeah. that are coming out. I think that sort of makes sense. I'm not sure what like the official like party line on that is. Yeah. Well, if I guess if you're doing it more, if you're aiming for a percentage higher than that percentage, that would be positive discrimination, would it? Basically. I don't see it. When, maybe not. Maybe... It's just a thing that happens. Like I would guess that potentially the say twenty five percent of women graduate from computer science, and then only ten percent of them make it into a career in like computery stuff. Then you, that maybe doesn't mean you've positively discriminated for men. There's just been some drop off, and they've gone elsewhere. No, no, I mean positive discrimination the other way. Yes, but if you wanted to, but so, if there's, there might be a re- the reason those fifteen percent aren't then going into a developer job is because they don't feel they want to work yeah, in that industry, yeah. right? So then there is still work to be done there. It's it's interesting, yeah. But the whole programmer thing. Have you watched the TV show Silicon Valley? No, I haven't. Because they've got a couple of characters in that show. I'd h- highly recommend. Bill Gates recommended it, and you know, obviously he's second to me with his recommendation. But <laughs> but like, I think actually it is it's a it's a very well done HBO show about sort of startup culture in silicon valley and there's these two programmers that work for the company that's sort of like google but it's, it's called hooli in the show and they're just like yo bro what's up and then, but they're like also coding and they're always like going to the gym and they've got like shakes and stuff and they're just like the the perfect kind of programmer kind so, of thing so on the on the, the female side there was one thing i read a while ago it's highly unlikely i'll be able to find the link for the show notes but i will try um where there was a hiring manager that was like, look, we want to hire more women. Mm-hmm. And the recruiters were just like, we just don't have them. And then he was like, okay. But then he was like, they got to the point where this hiring manager was like, you can only send me female uh, potentials. Mm-hmm. Don't send me any guys. And it was only at the point where he did that, did they actually then were like, oh yeah, we've got these 20, you know, 20 people. That's interesting. Um, because I think they felt that they would just not be hired. I think, I think this was, again, more of an American 
Yeah. It's an American article, and I will try and find it out to, to give it to sort of firm that up a bit. But I think there's part of it is some discrimination at maybe potentially all levels of the hiring process. But then you know, you've also got you know, like like what you used to do is hire is training people up that haven't been through a university education to do mm-hmm. be a developer, right? So they're, I mean, there aren't that many avenues. There are avenues of that that way as well to to get that stuff done. And I wonder whether that, if they don't feel like, I mean, obviously you need to tackle why women don't do as many of the STEM, that's what they call it, right? Science, technology, engineering, and maths yeah, degrees. That's the one. Um, you know, that that's obviously an issue. But then also there are other avenues that maybe should be pushed more aggressively towards women to be like, look, are you looking for a change in career? Become a software developer. And then you've just got a bigger, you've got a bigger set of people, hopefully. It's one way of circumventing the problem of like, there aren't enough people doing it at university or getting an education in that thing. It's just to take, if you're teaching people to code from scratch through like boot camps or other things, Mm. then you can, there's no reason that women may want to or not want to do that. But yeah, you might get less women apply still, possibly. Yeah. But it's interesting. I have, again, forgotten all the stats, but there are differences in America in STEM subjects between different ethnic minorities. So yeah. I think Asian women are much better represented than sort of other, every, or everyone else women, mm. which is interesting, which kind of makes you think that it is a cultural, some sort, it's not like a... It's some sort of nurture issue where something has gone different for them and their, I'm guessing probably their families or the way that it's perceived for them is different. So they're more likely to go into it. So I, mm. I'm imagining that's why that is. But it's in, it kind of shows you that perhaps that you could get it fixed if things were changed. So I guess when we talk about um, the bro culture, I think we talk generally... I mentioned from a women point of view initially, but it's actually just generally minorities, right? So if we think about bro culture, it's it's white males is generally the the yeah. stereotype, right? So even like you, like you were saying there about different ethnic minorities are also underrepresented in yes. some of these cultures, office cultures, right? Yeah, yeah, and particularly with our software software engineering, whatever the word is profession it's probably mm. the right word then that is a particular problem and there's definitely not going to be an even distribution between different ethnicities and programming jobs i would imagine so yeah so, so one of the things i was thinking is that you read a lot in the news about particularly in silicon valley these um cultures mm. and i was and i was thinking you know it sounds te- it is terrible but there are some advantages i think yeah, particularly they're... when you're very small there are because everyone is sort of i mean it's not to say that it's the right thing to do but in terms of advantages i would say there are things where you know you you're all from similar backgrounds yeah so you're all going to think in similar ways yeah and therefore if you're getting a group of sort of three or four people together to do something if you're all you know vaguely you know pointing in the same way it's it, it's going to make that it could potentially make that job more efficient or easier. Yeah, you might gel better. I guess they're... Pro- gel quicker, I would say. Gel quicker, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like um, American football teams or football teams or uh, rugby teams or something. They kind of have 
because that's just like all guys in one place. They kind of have something similar to that. American football from afar, not as an avid watcher, seems like something which has that quite heavily, where they're kind of all just like... Egging each other up and... Yeah, yeah, and it's quite... A lot of bump, chest bumping. But I, I don't know. One thing that's occurred to me when I was reading about programmers is whether we're programmers... <laughs> okay. I don't know if you thought about that. No, not at all. Because I reckon I can think about it. I can say some things now that will make you think about that. So if you think back to when we were at university, I was thinking about different programs. It's it's such an interesting topic because different programmers programmers have a stereotype of being kind of introverted and quiet and not having good social skills. Yeah. And a programmer, I think the official Urban Dictionary definition <laughs> is kind of like someone who's basically like a frat boy. So that they kind of have to be quite social. Right. And I think when we were at university, there were quite a lot of people who were kind of much quieter than us. And maybe to them, we were programmers. I don't know. Yeah. Quite possibly. But but then there's also the stuff about like very high, like sort of masculinity stuff. And I don't, mm. unfortunately, we have both been going to the gym, but... We're not quite there. We're not. We, I mean, we, could, we can sort of aspire to get there, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's in it's an interesting thing, but yeah, it did make me think. Like, am I a programmer? I think it depends. I think it's in the eye of the beholder a little bit. Yeah, as who's watching? I guess it's a scale almost, isn't it? Yeah, like the worst ones you hear are obviously right at the end of that scale. Like you know, the guys at Uber. I've not encountered anybody at that end of the scale no, actually not, in my professional life. Not in the. I mean, that, well, have you worked with people in the US? I guess you have. No, not not not, re- not bigger teams. No, like in individuals here and there. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. yeah. So I would that, I would agree with you, and that's what I said initially. I I feel like that stereotype of this sort of bro culture isn't. I don't feel it as much here. I haven't never experienced it in the way that I've read about. And obviously, the media could be sensationalizing a little bit. Like I think Uber was a well known. So was written yeah, about a lot yeah. with that. What was the guy called Kalalnik? Yeah, Travis. Travis. I mean that initial group of people and. Yeah, they they seem like they're quite a bad culture. Yeah, so they're, they're pretty much the poster boy for for bad culture. Yeah, yeah, and so it's like, well, clearly that's not good, but it did get them along that line of getting a product out the door and and it being quite and not necessarily being successful, but having a an interesting product come out of that initial period of work. Do you think financial traders are kind of? Where are they at on that scale? Because to me, they're quite mm. far along, actually. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, one place that... When I say I haven't experienced it, you're right. Put it in the team I've worked in. Yeah. But in investment banking, um, the trader teams definitely have some of that uh, bro culture. Was it Mrs. Jass's story about the apple pie? Is that Was that... I'd, well, the story I heard, I can't remember who I heard it from, maybe as I tell you, but it, some traders at one of the big investment banks here, they used to go out on a night out and then the next morning and sort of drink, a, you know, sink a whole bunch of beers. And then yeah. the next morning, the last one there, if they were late, they had to buy everybody else an apple pie. Okay. Well, someone had to eat as many apple pies as they could until they were unwell, basically. And weird. That's not, that's not I don't recall. Kind of hazing rituals. But there, yeah. there is, because. Yeah, ha- I mean, hazing, yeah, it's, it's a hazing couple yeah. of rituals, right? So the couple of stories I had on that, I thought you were going to tell the one I was thinking about, but it would be the same thing. They'd go out, but because they were traders, they had to be in early the next day. Yeah. So again, whoever was in last would have to buy the coffee. Yeah. And then they would all ceremoniously just throw the coffees in the bin. 
Oh yeah, I about <laughs> because it wasn't about buying the coffee. It was just about making the person who's in last pay financially. Yeah, um, which I thought I couldn't believe it when I was told that story. It was my old boss told me that story, which is crazy. There's something about me that likes part of that story. Part of me thinks that's a terrible waste and like, what the hell? But part of me thinks it's the ultimate insult to force someone to go out and buy something for you and then just not even consume it. Just, just throw it away. It's so ridiculous. But they are, they do tend to be very heavily male dominated. Yeah. And they do tend to have that sort of work hard, play hard. Yeah. Attitude, which I think puts them quite far along that scale, actually. Yeah, definitely. My Mrs. Rich is a is a trader and i can definitely attest to like it is quite she's obviously a massive bro (laughs) (laughs) i don't think she would mind me saying that to be honest but yeah it's it is a different kind of i mean yeah i think a lot of it's difficult to separate bro from just like male but i don't think there is a definite separation though bro bro culture i don't i think it's less likely to exist in a 50 50 mental women's split I don't think uh, you'll get a critical mass of men behaving like idiots yeah. if there's too many women who are their peers around. Well, I, that's think. The, I think that's the point, right? I think is the reason these cultures exist is because it's historically a male-dominated industry and yeah. still a male-dominated industry. So then you get... It's like... it's like, And that's why the equivalent is to like frat houses, right? You've got... In America, we don't really have that here in the UK, but in America you have these frat houses where lots of guys live in one place mm-hmm. and basically just do crazy shit with red cups yeah with, which i don't understand those have moved out i mean they're in common they're in common, common circulation i still every time i drink out of a red cup i feel so cool which probably <laughs> is the reason that i'm not a bro <laughs> but, but I, I guess that and that's maybe why it exists more there because they have that sort of concept even at university level where yeah. you're splitting people yeah. by their sex and potentially i don't know in terms of diversity, ethnic diversity in those frat houses as well. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was, again, mainly male, white people in those in those frat houses. The only bro, I mean, it, when did bro come into, like... I yeah, feel like when we relatively like, new. Yeah, quite new. I think it's been since, like, um, a lot of these new startups have come along. Yeah. Like Uber and those. I, it definitely wasn't a term when we were in university. I think it's just... Yeah, it wasn't a term then. I would say that it's been popularised in sort of the last six or seven years but the closest thing to bro when we were at university was definitely sports teams yes and you would definitely call those guys bros bro. now yeah 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 you haven't lived until you've drunk a dirty pint out of a glass <laughs> which has a live rodent in it that's that's oh, the kind of like random right out of a shoe or something hazing yeah i find that stuff so strange and interesting now, now i don't again i don't know outside of the uk but in the uk there's a lot more negativity about and some universities banning those yeah. rituals, right? Uh, initiation ceremonies. Like hazing, yeah. That's such a strange thing. I don't get it. And it's, I think it's, I think it's good that those things are changing now because it means that they're more welcoming for anyone, right? Rather yeah. than somebody yeah. who's willing to, you know, run around the town naked or something. Or it's strange. It's you know. really weird. But yeah, and maybe all of that is slowly changing the environment to allow more minorities and, and women to come through. Yeah. Uh, all 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 different um professions not just ours. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess bro is going to come from the place that people have come from before, which for most Silicon Valley people is going to be university. So mm. if there's like a frat boy culture at university, it just gets carried over. Yeah. But it is a strange. But I, you know, I've not really worked with anybody who I really thought was like a bro, but I I would say I we probably have to cut this out, but that guy that you used to work with that was really stacked at Oh yeah.
Yeah, yeah. I, he might be close to it. But even he was pretty chilled out. He was never... No. He was just stacked. He's a caricature of a bro. But he's he, not, he's not men, a bro. But like, Gentle personalities... Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was always quite cool. He is a really cool guy, yeah. But yeah. he was like... He, he could be, but he just wasn't. Which is good. But yeah, it's anyway, kind of... Um, probably, obviously you I don't know. I don't... Yeah. I don't... It's a strange... It's a strange thing. But there definitely are... Before you get to bro, there's still quite a lot of sort of male behaviours that are not... Yeah, I mean, the, the stereotypical one is going to, like, a strip club or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Which I don't Which know if... I don't know if Mrs. Rich has had to... have Had to go to a strip club I've with heard, her team. Uh, no. Okay. I, I think it would be a bit weird but I've heard stories third hand and it still happens sometimes mm. which I find quite surprising in the year we're in but yeah but yeah I think um, yeah it's it's I've, I have seen some stuff like not so I think in my career everything was okay I started off in quite big finan- so financial services has a slightly especially if you're not a trader has a slightly it's pretty good culture for this stuff in general so the first place I worked and I think probably from the sounds of it the first place you worked you wouldn't think, oh, a woman can come in and work here and it would be fine. Maybe in a few teams. Maybe you worked in an all-male team at some points. No, we had some... We had a couple of... in. We had an intern that worked with us for quite a while. Mm. Not an intern, a uh, graduate that worked with us for six months that was female. But yeah, generally, like, I was in a... The floor I was on had maybe 30 to 35 people. Mm-hmm. And I'm struggling now to think if there were any women mm, on in that. At all. Yeah, maybe one I can think of, maybe two. And that was it. I mean, it was entirely IT floor. It was, a, they were all, it was all software development and related, so project managers and stuff. But so that, I think, I think that, that was particularly bad for such a big organization. How many technical women have you worked with in your career? So like women that write lines of code more than as like, their main job, right? Yeah, it's kind of like their primary thing. Not as like an auxiliary, oh, I went in and did this SQL thing. Or mm. So there was there was the graduate that we had at my first place. Yeah. And I'd be tempted to say that's the only person. So the, the only, only woman, sorry. I can think of a couple, two or three women... What's interesting as I think about this, I mean, this isn't enough data, but all the people, I, most of the people I can think of are, are young. So they, yeah. they're just graduated and they're graduates. Mm-hmm. And then I think what happens is oh, a lot of people, to be fair, transition away from coding, but they seem, in my mind, it feels like they're more likely to transition away and move on to one of the sort of things around programming, which are important as well. But like things like project management, management BA... Yeah, like, you know, business, business analysts, business analyst, gathering requirements, those sorts of things. Yeah. But then, you know, anybody, men and women both do that. But it, it feels like perhaps they're less likely to stick on. There's, uh, I, there was a technical architect at my first job who was a woman and, an, and a contractor. And I think she is the only technical contractor I've ever known that's a woman. I was thinking about her before this episode. Wow. Because that's another thing. I'm, so what I was going to say is my first couple of jobs, it kind of felt like, Perhaps it was mainly men, but I didn't feel like there would be a hostile environment to women. But then I switched to contracting, which is a bit more sort of mercenary and it big bigger like a big consulting firm. Like confused about the firms I've worked for and what mm. they do. But yeah, like a big consultant firm, which has a similar but slightly different culture. And it was very much like project based, lots of travelling. And for whatever reason, 
I started to feel actually in that first job I felt like there could that women would be welcome there but then I took another job after that at a small DevOps company and I must admit there I kind of thought found myself thinking well it's, it's a bit spot of luck that I'm a, a man because I just couldn't really see how just didn't really feel it was so male dominated I think partially because it's DevOps which is yeah of all the things to do in software is like I'm sure there are some excellent female DevOps people but it feels like a it just seems like a field that's just dominated like there's just men everywhere yeah and I don't think they had any female engineers doing DevOps and uh, that I met that I heard of in the entire company so that was kind of like and I guess those people had probably worked in DevOps for a long time so the culture there was a bit different and that was kind of the first time I thought hmm. it's interesting that you explicitly thought that at that place, there must have been stuff going on there that you were like, this is just weird or... A few comments were made, yeah. Uh, okay. Nothing horrendous, but things that you sort of, you know, the classic, you keep your mouth shut and you just sort of think... I mean, for all this, the sins of working in a massive investment bank um, from a technical point of view, which I think we've spoken about before in terms of enjoyment of the job, they they were quite good at instilling a culture where yeah, I... you shouldn't... Like you would never considering saying something sexist or potentially racist yeah. there because you'd be like somebody's going to report me here and I, you know and, yeah, and it's yeah. just not acceptable. It's not yeah. It's that feeling of like it's not okay. But that's because you're going into a big organisation where they can the, the culture's already enforced. Yeah. Where it's difficult and I guess where some of this bro culture comes around is that when you're starting from scratch, it's just you and maybe one other person. And if yeah, you're yeah. and particularly if you're friends depending on what kind of, and particularly if you're bros, you're going to be like a lot of, you know, joshing around, a lot of, you know, boozing maybe, a friendly lot of banter. friendly banter. <laughs> you know, all of those things then, I guess, and then as you hire people into that, it's it's then building out from there and then people yeah. wanting to fit in, so then being the same. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're a company of 10 or 20 where you you feel like it would be hostile for, for ethnic minorities or... Um, women to, to join when i started my company and i stopped we started hiring people yeah i was gonna i did want to ask you about that uh we i felt like if we just stuck on default we might have hired a woman but just on the i mean for this particular position we were actually not really looking for many prerequisite things which we weren't looking for science or technology degrees we were kind of looking for maybe degrees and just smart people and obviously the job ad will have said programming stuff but it didn't say you needed to know anything because we taught everyone from scratch. The number of applications we got from men to women was drastic. Like, I don't know, I'd guess 1 to 10, 1 to 7. Wow. So, so I mean, we should say, um, and I did want to make it clear when I was going to ask you the question, is that you did end up hiring, yes. uh, of the four four people you hired, one was a woman. Yes. So you're already at 25% of, of your hiring. Yeah. Um. And did did you feel that? Uh, so you guys all work remotely, right? So you weren't ever in the same office at the yeah. same time. But did you feel there was a change in the culture? Yes. Did you feel you did. Yes. Did you feel it was for the better? I yes. Said. Okay. I wanted to avoid getting into a situation where it's like it's just like little things being said and what is okay and you know in terms of like jokes and banter. On, yeah. Even in like Slack kind of or whatever. Like yeah, one of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about some funny things that happen, but like, yeah, like there's just like little things. I think it's just kind of it's like one of those rules of life when like you don't 
have something keeping you in like when you don't have a check or balance or like something stopping something from happening then it probably will happen and a lot of these changes are not necessarily one way but like once they once the doors open it's like becomes a flood and everything you know one person does something and then everybody's like oh that's probably fine and then before you know it and i i think i think it does start i don't think it happens with like one or two or three people but i think even if you've got mild-mannered men who were not like big offenders on this front and then you got to the point where there were just 20 of them i still think you would start to see strange behavior mm. that where if you if you have just 20 men i think you'll probably start to see weird stuff happening yeah and it's it's just a weird i guess it's just like a human thing so it's yeah kind of- and i think it requires but i think i think you being aware of it and and me i feel like i was aware of it as well because when i was in our startup i i really did want it at the point where we were thinking it was going to grow, I really did want to hire uh, some women sooner rather than later, again, to yeah. sort of nudge the culture the right way. Um, but I think also as men, we need to be aware of, and, and I think you're very aware of it, you know, seeing things that you're like, that's not quite right and we shouldn't. Yeah. And being then in a, when you're a contractor, obviously you're not in a position to say anything, but if you were in a senior management position or, yeah. or, or team leader or something, you'd be like, look, you know, we need to just tone this down a bit. I think my funniest one, the guy, the guy, he's probably listening, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's too funny. Well, we can cut it if it's... Uh... We, can, we can cut it if it's too bad. And <laughs> um, the best, probably the best one, and I don't think he actually knows about the, about this, but because um, we work remotely, we were on Zoom on like, you know, video conference yeah. and people are in like different places and sometimes they, you know, go places or go and stay with family and they're still working. One of the guys that worked for me took a conference call topless on a boat. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I, I remember being like, could, could you just put your, put your top back on? Because I don't think, like, I mean, like, obviously, like, I'm not offended by it, but, like, I know, like, we work remotely and we can wear whatever clothes we want, but, like... At least some clothes. Just some clothes, yeah. <laughs> that's the rule. It's like it's like in shops where they're like, we're not going to serve you if you're not wearing a shirt. Yeah, yeah. I have a conference call if you're not wearing a shirt. Yeah, that's that's quite funny. But it was a nice day, but still. <laughs> and on a boat as well. But that feels like the kind of thing that, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, I think as well, another thing is like, I th- you know, I said earlier, you need, we're talking about men and women a lot, but I think a lot of these things apply for like, other things so like yeah which i guess it comes down to society though as well it does come down to society like i think um god this is getting into risky territory now but i think sexist things are obviously bad and hopefully people don't say them but i feel like sexism is more is is less frowned upon than racism that's just kind of where we are in society i think i think uh particularly in the uk i would agree with that yeah, statement. i don't yeah i can't really I don't really know about like other cultures, but yeah. yeah, in our culture, if you say something sexist, that's obviously bad. But there is like a if it's you more say, accepting, it's more yeah. People are people more let ex- it slide a bit easier, right? Yeah, they like, will. Oh, yeah. you maybe shouldn't have said that. So, but, oh. so if you said something horribly sexist, people might call you on it. If yeah. you said something that was mildly sexist, like you made a joke and said, "Oh, kind of like get back in the kitchen or something," mm. depending on where you are in the scenario, people might be like, mm, "I'll let that one slide." But racism is further along i know i have that very british thing where like i feel this sort of 
self-loathing anxiety and when someone says something there that i think they shouldn't say i i get this feeling that like bubbles up where i'm like mm. <laughs> i've got a like dying inside yeah. like, i know you shouldn't have said that like my brain i don't even it's not even very rational it's just like a feeling and i kind of just know that like racism triggers that yeah. british response harder than than sexism but so, but i think people are more willing to call out racism as well yeah, now yeah. because i think you know we're not old enough but um I think in the 60s and 70s, right, racism here was a lot worse. And I th- and for some reason, for whatever reason, culturally, we've managed to get past that. To some degree, I'm not saying, you know, they're, all, they're obviously still UKIP supporters. Yeah. Um, and, you know, British, British National Party people that are yeah, we, pretty close to that line. And probably some of them are very racist. We but, still have, we do, yeah, like it's not, it's like in any society, it's, it's not, not solved. Yeah. But it, it's, it's better. But I think the stuff with, like sexism and men and women is more more ingrained because of i think partially because of uh, like our predefined like societal roles there's there's a i think i told you before there's this vox documentary series on netflix called explained yeah and there's a fact on there which i will remember which is that if you group men and women and you look at how much money they earn over their careers and then instead of saying men and women, you say women with children and everybody else say women without children and men, I yeah. guess that is. And other genders too. Well, I don't know. But yeah. like people, basically, women with children, don't. in terms of the money they earn, they earn way less comparably to men. But women without children, so say you're a career lawyer and you get to like 16, you don't have any kids, you're on average be 4% behind your male peers. Right. So actually the thing that's making the difference is the children bit. And obviously 4% is not great, and that's a gap that hopefully will one day get to zero. Yeah, it should be zero. It should be zero. But 4%, that for me was quite like an insightful figure because a lot of times in the workplace, you some some of these bigger companies, they have very, like, uh, quite full-on, like, you know, like there'll be like a network for everything and they'll have all these events where... You know, they'll get like a really good speaker in and then they're like, oh, only women can go, which is like a thing that's happened before. Yeah. And they, all the women would go to this thing and it would just be the men left there. And I remember some of the men being like, this doesn't seem very fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've got this great speaker in, but we can't go. And, um, but I think... I think I think those events generally are a good thing. Like they have the LBGTQ ones yeah. and the women ones, I guess, because they're all... You're on top of your game getting that cue in. I'd have, I'd have maybe forgotten oh, that cue. No, no, well, well done. I, I remember it well. Um, the point is for them to help, to meet up, to help encourage, you know, that group of people to, I assume, further their career. Yeah. In a in a in a situation where they are underrepresented. Yeah. But yeah, I I would also be concerned about them getting people in to speak not specifically about those things, but just to generally speak and then be like, well, actually, we're going to limit it down. That does seem a little bit odd. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot. I've heard a couple of complaints before of like, you know, are women really that disadvantaged here in bigger companies? And that really? 4% figure. Yeah, I've heard that before. Like, you know, like... What, so thinking that the, the pay gap is not a problem or doesn't exist? Yeah, or... well, I think that 4% figure, actually, when I heard it, I was like, oh, that actually makes more sense. Like, there is a problem... And it's quite small, but where the problem is, is like, because we were all in our 20s then and not many women are going off having kids or yeah. anything. It's actually later when you get to like, you know, probably like 30 on average in the sorts of companies we're talking about. 30, it, it's early difficult 30s. then with the pay gap. So 
the 4% in your example with uh, comparing men of the same age to women without children of the same age. Yeah, that was in it, one of the Scandi countries, I think, maybe Denmark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah to me, it's clearly unacceptable. It should be zero. Yeah, yeah. But but 4% is also not... It's not... A, I don't know if that's a lot or not. It, probably... But but the difficulty then is if somebody... If if you end up having kids and and society seems to apply that the women has to take the time off to look after that kid yes. for, say, a year. Yeah. Um, again, rightly or wrongly, they're then going to always be a year behind their male mm. peers. So then you have to compare... Well, it becomes impossible, really, to compare. Well, because the then you compare the person... Yeah, because then you don't necessarily go back to the same job. Yeah. You might want to work part-time, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So then it does make it very hard. I think what's super hard about that is if you take... Imagine if you have a three-year career gap and then you go back to work because mm. you're like looking after a kid and you're more likely to be a woman, I think. I don't know the statistics, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct on that one. Yeah. Then it's kind of like when you come back after a prolonged period off like that, your career... Especially, it's quite a damaging time. It's the time we're kind of getting to now. It's where you actually sort of start to really get Potentially promoted. where you move mm. up another level, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you're going to miss those years and you're going to come back and then you're going to be kind of older and then maybe people are a little bit ageist, like, oh, why are you only at this point in your career and you're this old? Which is something that, like, I think people shouldn't be judged for, but, like, people definitely are going to think about that. I, I would think. say, actually, in, in our industry... Uh, Ageism is definitely a problem. It's a big, it's a big problem, and we're nearly over the hill. So I'm well, you, to think about I think more. you've told it's a stat, or not a stat, but something you've said a lot. I think is you know how many people do you know in our industry over the age of fifty? Fifty. My mentor's over fifty, and he can still code like a demon. But again, it feels like yeah, it's there's an underrepresentation there. Right? Oh, definitely. But I think part of that is all. I mean, some of that again, I don't know what percentages will be that. In a lot of organisations, as a software IT person, being promoted and getting paid better generally means moving out of that role and becoming a manager, right? Which there's a there's a limit to the amount of we were talking about impact in the last episode, but there's a limit. Cutting code depends what code it is. Like maybe you write some like worm that like takes down the entire internet and that have a lot of impact. But like in general, if you're building features for like a company. You can get, like, there's a, this 10x programmer thing and all that, but there is a limit to how much impact you can have. And managing people is much more, like, leveraged in that you can help 10 programmers to do much better work and then they go and do loads of work and your better management can actually have a massive effect. Yeah, yeah. Or making architectural decisions can have a massive effect and save, yeah. you know, way more time. So yeah, there is, like, a tendency for people to move out. But yeah, it's just, I don't know what it is. I think part of it is just the industry's technology changes so regularly. That yeah, I wonder, I wonder if you were in more like um, an older technology, particularly C, C++, mm. seems to be, again, limited experience. There tends to be older yeah, people yeah. in that industry versus, and I guess Java would end up the same, but yeah, you know, maybe, yeah, it's that thing like we were thinking where we'll end up, I think you made the joke last week about, you know, yours could be JavaScript and then yeah, 20 no, years' look- time you'll be a JavaScript guy working on legacy JavaScript because that's what you learned when you were younger. The other option is that they just made so much money by being great programmers that they're just on a beach in, you know, they're just... Living just the dream. Having a good time. Next but- to Branson's Island, they've got their own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Necker Island. But yeah, I was, 
I was going to. I was trying to make a point, and I've I've massively derailed myself by talking about this four percent thing. Oh, sorry. Another point I was going to make actually is that the the bro culture stuff with if you don't have any women, then I, as I said earlier on that I think you can start to creep and weird things start to happen. Just by act, just because there's nothing to balance it, to or balance to correct. Yeah, yeah, to correct or no feeling of like. You can offend somebody. Yeah, there's nobody there to offend. Yeah, it's kind of like you'll know that people will know that it's like slightly offensive, but it takes discipline for them not to creep over that line yeah. if that's somewhere they would go. And I guess it's also a function of like society and what's normal. But then another thing that I think is true is it depends. When I say that, I think that those women in this case need to be people that are considered peers. Yeah. So, for example, if you have an office. And I think that's where programmer has really taken off is because in Silicon Valley, programmers are like... In London, it's, that's not so much the case. We've talked about this before, but in in Silicon Valley, programmers are like... They make a lot of money. Yeah. Like, frankly, an outrageous amount of money compared to what a programmer can make in a, in most other cities that aren't in the US. Mm. It's... it's And it, it's not ridiculous anymore, but it could be like twice as much. I, I get the feeling. And so they are sort of like the MVPs. And I think that gives them sort of like, which, whereas here, a trader, I would say, has more of that sort yeah. of, rightly or wrongly, whether whether the job's that hard or that important, whether either of them are, but it's kind of, it has that reputation and that sort of comes with it. So yeah, I think if you have like 30 men in a room and then there's like a PA to like the boss who's a woman, I don't think that's going to necessarily, that's going to, temper it a bit but not the same as if yeah i think were... i think them being peers i would agree in my current place we have in the entire company we, we have of 25 or whatever across two offices the two women are the pa for each of the office yeah or the office manager for each office here and in mumbai so <clears throat> that's not great either right because that's sort of reinforcing stereotypes of which jobs men should do and which jobs that women should do yeah um i think and i don't I agree it i don't think it tempers the, the culture quite in the same way but because women seem less likely to stay technical and they tend to, you know they i think in your sort of average silicon valley company again this is totally not backed up by stats i think you're more likely to find women in roles like ux project management those sorts of things but if programming is elevated yeah then you may end up with a scenario that perhaps that's how it comes about yeah whether well, the programmers feel like they're above everybody else so they can yeah. say what they want and because it's generally guys they yeah. then, it then turns towards this sort of bro culture. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I should say, I guess, that I'm I am actually half Indian. Which gives you a big advantage in this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> just because it's just because I'm not not a whitey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've personally never experienced any racism or anything like that. But. I mean, I was I was born in the UK. I grew up here. I'd imagine that makes it. And I think the cult it's the cultural thing more than yeah. the color of my skin at that point. Yeah, I reckon that. You're probably but right. similarly, I don't look obviously Indian or black or anything. You know, I I look sort of European is what a lot of people say, right? So again, I don't know whether even though I have that half Indianness, yeah, whether they all that's... guess they all guess, but they all guess wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we've seen a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you Mexican? No. <laughs> Egyptian. Egyptian. Yeah. We've had all of them. Uh, I quite Cypriot. enjoy it. Cypriot, um, yeah. So yeah, so I don't... so it's easy for me to say, oh I'm half Indian, but I haven't seen it. But I wonder how much of it is just because I don't look 
Mm. You know, I look sort of European, so people just don't, it doesn't cross their minds. Whereas if I looked more obviously Indian, whether that would, yeah. I would have had a different experience. Maybe, I, yeah. It's a, that's an interesting one. I would just guess as well that different ethnicities are not represented at all in, like, proportionally based on society. Yeah, similar to the way you're saying about women. Yeah. You know, we're 50 50 in the population more or less right yeah and it's clearly not that yeah i was reading some stats about stem subjects and i think well i've said before about asian women but i think in general and it seems the same in silicon valley asian people uh i don't know if they're well represented but they're certainly there in a decent proportion i mm. don't know how it is i don't know how it is based on society as a whole but in terms of that ethnic that ethnicity yeah there's an there's above normal. What? What? In, there's just representation. There's there is than... some. Re- I don't know if we need to get the stats out, but we, we've come heavily armed with statistics. <laughs> but yeah, I would guess it's either over or slightly under, but it's not ridiculously under. But I think I think part of this conversation, it's not for us to necessarily be 100% factually correct. It's that we've worked both worked in a yep. number of places over a number of years, and it's our experience of these things that are becoming big news items and, and stuff that people want to talk about and rightly want to fix. And that, that was more of the reason I wanted to talk about it because I feel like I haven't worked anywhere where this is where I feel like it's been an absolute problem to have different ethnicities or more women. But similarly, then I haven't worked anywhere where there has been even close to a 50-50%. Yeah. And then it's like, well, why is that the case? And is it actually that we're just reinforcing it even though we feel... I feel like we're quite... Again, obviously being a bit sort of self-promoting, but I feel like particularly yourself, I mean, what you said and myself, I feel like I'm aware of it. Yeah. Maybe more aware of it than other people. Yeah. Um, And hopefully we get to the point where we're in a position in a bigger organisation to actually make active decisions towards forcing the the issue. But I think the thing is that's difficult, difficult about all these issues is you've got the stuff that you can see and then you have like what people call blind spots. So yeah. things that you think or things that you do that you don't even think about, but they're, you have like biases that are built in yeah. that you that just happen. So when you... you yeah, when you, you're more likely to quickly assume that someone's rubbish at something because of some like bias that's in the back of your brain, but yeah. rationally you don't have it. It's that's what's hard, and it's like the other things that like we're saying or doing. I think one of the most interesting places to look at with this is maybe mental health because oh, that's interesting. Why do you say that? Because I think society knows that racism is wrong and has moved mostly has moved to a decent dish place where there's still room for improvement but we're kind of you know we've made big strides well particularly in the uk I, yeah yeah i think in america for example i don't think we're quite yeah off, I think but... it depends america's such a big country i think it depends yeah, where you where are, you are yeah. yeah but um and women were probably i would say a little bit further behind oddly in a way it yep. feels to me yeah it's like I could see that point. Yeah. And then I think mental health is like way behind both of those by quite a long way. And Oh, yeah, as in it's not talked about. It's not. Yeah. I think because of the stigma attached to it. Yeah. You've, you kind of, we just have, it's society in general, but then obviously it translates quite heavily into work. It's just not ready to like, you know, like if someone breaks their leg, it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's fine. Dave's going to be out for three weeks because he broke his leg. But if Dave is suffering from depression and can't get out of bed, 
that's a much more difficult thing for like it's just yeah people wouldn't want to broadcast that right yeah and it becomes like a sensitive and there's like a stigma associated with it and then sorry how are you mapping that to what we're saying here you feel I'm like, to, is it I'm to think the, how I was back or you're just it. adding it to the scale of well, how far along we are in terms of acceptance yeah yeah I think that's one that you can look at where perhaps and uh, the reason I was going to say about that one is perhaps it's a place where I've noticed in the last couple of years that I as much as I rationally know that I shouldn't have stigmas about mental health stuff I kind of still do and I kind of like you know like if I feel like if I had something like for, for me if I was having like anxiety or depression or something i think i would really think carefully before like going into work and being like oh you know telling people about it i think i don't i don't I think, think that... you'd you'd struggle to go in and say that i you were suffering because you feel like people would judge you yeah right and i think i think for yeah i think it's like a difficult thing i think a lot of what's brought this on for me is that mrs richard runs the mental health she started which again just shows the problem she started a mental health network at a big american bank mm. but they didn't have one yeah right? and obviously how long's their women's or you know whatever ever network or lgbt network they'll have existed for 10 15 20 years yeah and this one didn't even exist let alone like have gained any traction i think they're starting to pop up and maybe like the last sort of five years but it's just in it's interesting because it makes you realize you know like i always think there'll be these things that our children look at us and go what, what I, are you yeah. thinking? Like, I what? think that's that's a prime example, right? Of yeah, we we're old enough to see the before and after, right? Yeah, yeah, we're in like kind of the middle. Oh God, don't say that. But we're kind of in no, the, but you, we are right. Like, yeah, we are. We were yeah. old enough fifteen years ago to then and to know now that it's weird that nobody ever spoke about this thing, which clearly, yeah, as gets reported in the news, a lot of people suffer. Oh, with. that's what's so shocking about this one in particular is it can affect anybody. And whenever you talk to people about it, everybody is touched by it. It's massive. But, yeah. we, but it hasn't quite... Yeah, it's interesting. But we, but that's where I notice blind spots in myself because even though my wife's like, you know, heavily involved with all this stuff and I should be the most PC person on the face of the earth about it I realise that when I like I don't say things out loud but in my head when I'm sort of watching things and talk, people are talking about things and I'm thinking would I you know like I notice that I have like biases and things that I would and wouldn't say if it were me in that situation yeah I think it yeah I think it comes down to like I think for me it's like if I break my leg I can say well I broke my leg and I did something silly for like two minutes but ultimately the asset that i feel i'm selling when i'm in the workplace is my brain and to admit that there's something with my brain which is not operating the same as like i was about to say the majority of the population but i don't even know if that's true yeah because this affects so many people it is it is actually normal when you look at that it's quite it's really quite a normal thing to happen it's there's some crazy stats like I don't even want to get the stats wrong. I get that I should have come prepared with the stats, but it affects so many people yeah, in their yeah. lives. But yeah. at the same time, I realise... so... Nobody ever talking about it. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, but it lets you see, like, kind of... Maybe cult, maybe culture in the population moving along will solve some of these problems, hopefully. I think, um, just as an anecdote more than anything, but speaking about how I think it's changed, you know, when I was younger, maybe 10, maybe younger, slightly... Um, my mum had some sort of mental breakdown because of uh, her job. She worked as a nurse. Um, and it wasn't really spoken about at all. Mm. And I actually haven't... 
even now really spoken to her about what happened. I just know that she stopped working for a long time and then never worked nights again. She only was after that. She went. She went back. She'd only worked during the day. Um, but it's just never. And again, obviously, she's you know thirty years older than me. So again, different generation. So I whether she she doesn't even feel that she can because it's not really spoken about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would hope now if like you or my wife or clo- other close friends were really struggling with something, I feel now would be you'd be okay to at least yeah. try and talk about it. Even if the other person can't necessarily, um, so you know, associate it. It's just again, you know, sort of. Yeah, what's what's quite hard with mental health is when it's on the fringes. I feel like I feel like I feel the same as you with that. When people, when something gets really bad, but it's when things are kind of in the middle, and you, it's, 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 it's like somebody just saying that you know they're struggling or you know they're yeah you yeah. know it's just there's something going on in their lives that they're finding really hard to process. Yeah, and it's a difficult as well because I suppose. Again, I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but there's still a limit to where even really good friends yeah. will talk about certain personal issues, right? Yeah. So then it's like, well, how would you know necessarily that you were, you know, if you were talking about perhaps a parent being really unwell, yeah, you'd then be, you'd, the other person would be more like, well, you know, are you doing okay? Because, you know, they're in hospital or whatever. But a lot of the time, I wouldn't. Even, you know, with close friends, with you probably I would, but with other close friends, I, you know, you might just have a conversation where that doesn't even come up. You don't feel like you could talk about it. Mm. Saying like, oh, you know, parent or somebody's really unwell, you know, and actually I'm finding it quite hard to cope with it. Yeah, it's it's a difficult, it's, yeah, it's hard, but it does give you a lens to look through when you're thinking about like the other things like bro, bro culture. Yeah. I'm thinking about like, yeah, I think it's good to think about it as that spectrum and where we are along it for each of those things. And I think it's absolutely right that I think we 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 have been seeing that mental health one come from right from zero, working its yeah. way up. It's it's close to zero. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think we we banned electric shock therapy now, which is a win. Which which yeah. my my grandmother had that one, which is, which yeah. my dad was telling me about. She's she's passed away quite a long time ago now. But like when he was telling me, I was like, that is crazy. I think my my dad has administered it as a oh. doctor when he was a trainee yeah a long time been, ago it's yeah not that long ago though it's kind of a crazy thing yeah. but but yeah i think um i think it's a really good i think it's just interesting and that you have those you know different different um things on the spectrum and interesting to see how they all come you know in in 10 years it would, you'd hope they've all continued to progress hopefully we don't have either any a any regression or b one stagnating you know, we don't want to end up like The Handmaid's Tale or something like that, which is... I don't know if you've seen that show. No. Um, I actually couldn't watch it because it frustrated me so much. It's where um, there's... It's in America, but there's an issue with fertility. Mm-hmm. So the majority of women can't have uh, babies anymore, but there's like a subset that can. Mm-hmm. So they like... It basically gets taken over by like some religious extremists and then all of these women's rights are just taken away and they're basically enslaved to a, to make a family oh right and the family she basically makes the baby for this family and then the family keep the baby and she's just sort of a, a servant or slave even but i mean it, it's an it's interesting but it, i found it so hard to watch because yeah, i was just like my i just wanted to scream i was like how is how is this happening <laughs> yeah uh, it is pretty, it's terrifying pretty um, harrowing so yeah, that was you know something 
perhaps on the extreme of this sort of stuff that we're talking about, but it it's a, an interesting example of the worst case. Do you have anything else culture-wise for programmers? Maybe there aren't the sex or race or any of those things, just other cultural things or maybe bad behaviours or like... Yeah. Um, I think... I think this is. I would say this is applicable in all jobs. Yeah. But there's that. There's that human um, sort of feeling to to want to integrate with a new set of people, mm-hmm. and then, and I feel like it's really easy to cross that line to fit in, mm-hmm. whichever line we're talking about, right? Sexism or racism or anything like that. You, you're because you're new. Say you're starting a job and you're like, oh, I want to get along with these guys. Yeah. Somebody makes a little bit of a joke. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you're trying to fit in, so you're going to try and want to. You know, yeah. one up it or join in with that sort of macho culture. One of the things we have in this country, actually, which is kind of like that, is our drinking culture, yes. which is actually quite shocking, even after all of the drinking we did in university, which was a lot, quite a bit, because we have a big drinking. We just have a big drinking culture from the time we're 18, yeah. slightly younger, depending on where you are. <laughs> but um, yeah, like you go to work and there'll be like a Thursday night and people people don't just have like one or two drinks. They'll have like six or seven. And there's definitely that feeling of it. Particularly, again, if you're new in a in a company, you're going to want to be there and you've yeah. got to keep... <laughs> in my first job, I remember running over one of the bridges in London to get away from my boss to stop drinking. Like I, <laughs> I managed to slip him for like... This is when I was an intern. I managed to slip him for like a couple of seconds and I was like, just run. <laughs> just flee because... Yeah, you, like, you were dumb. It's weird. For those of you that uh, have not visited the UK, this may be an advert to get a job here or something that will discourage you. But basically, on Thursdays, everybody drinks loads. And it's just accepted that Friday is kind of your hangover day. Yeah. Less productive. And you're not going to get a lot of work done. Particularly in financial services. Yeah, particularly. It's a financial services thing, actually. Not a co- Although... Beers in tech-only companies are a thing, and it's a weird. That I find like that we weird. Work, for example, yeah, we work has a beer on tap. I worked in a company for quite a big consultancy where we would have, they would bring, we'd have like um, a show and tell or something where people show what they worked on, and they would just get a bunch of beer and wine. Yeah, but it's normally beer only. You, yeah. Usually, beer is the primary thing, and sometimes it's wine, but it's often beer, which again, I would say is kind of a little bit catering for men because yeah. in general men probably drink more beer than women although thankfully in the last year my wife started drinking a lot more beer which has been excellent but yeah i think um yeah so that that's like another weird yeah. one that, but, but but what i was going to just say generally just on the other point sorry um is i feel like people should just feel like they could be themselves more mm. and i don't know how as a team you necessarily encourage that you know what i mean rather than I guess it's more like if you're like a clique of people, like you've got, say your team's a team of four and the other three guys get on like a house on fire. Mm. You come in as number four and you feel like you have to dive head in and because they're not sort of adjusting their behaviour for a new person. They're just carrying on. You feel you have to join them. Do you feel like you're yourself when you go to work? Is what sprung to my mind then. And how much of yourself? Or what's so I would say I try to be myself as much as possible because yeah. I feel like hiding that or changing it is bad a just for everybody. Yeah. So I depends on who you are to start off with. Yeah. <laughs> that and also I would say that I'm not necessarily myself from day one. Mm-hmm. I think you build yourself up. I I wouldn't say I change any of my behaviours, but I would maybe tone my behaviours down. So I won't joke around as much. I you know I like 
Yeah, I quite yeah. like joking around, not joking around in a bad way, but just like you know, chatting to people for a while. Yeah, you know, yeah. pretending that I'm not kind doing of any work. You kind of ease yeah. them into it. Yeah, to the full jazz. Yeah, the full jazz, which is <laughs> terrifying. So I definitely feel, I definitely would feel like if I worked anywhere where I was hiring people in, I, I would want them to be themselves. Mm. Uh, when I was in my startup, we hired four people, and. Me and my boss are very different people because I'm a technical person, um, you know, quite geeky, really. We, you know, we could bore people to death on talking That's about right, geeky right. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and my boss was completely different. He was a business guy. He'd done an MBA and stuff yeah. like that. So we were quite different. But then the people we got in were all technical. But I felt like each person was quite distinctive. I didn't feel like people yeah. were coming in to a culture that they had to feel like they had to adhere to. Now, obviously, I was already in it because I was there first. So I'd, it'd be interesting perhaps to ask them now that we don't no longer work together. We do still meet up occasionally for food. And it would be interesting to see what they thought of it. I would hope that they weren't, they didn't feel under pressure to behave in a certain it way. Or, like that to me. Yeah, I, you came and visited a couple of times. So. I think when now I'm older, my... Because the way it works for me is similar to what you were sort of describing. I try and be myself because I'm good at doing that. Because mm, that's me. That is you. <laughs> yeah. And because also I think if you're yourself, then you're more genuine and people are going to like you and trust yes. you more. Depends on who you are. But I think I do have a work self and a podcast self and, that you know, like a us hanging out self or mm. when I'm with my wife self. And you, you kind of change. And I think for me, in general, I try and keep those things quite close together. Yeah. Because I haven't got time to like put on some ridiculous persona and one of the things i see people do in corporate cultures which is really weird is like when they stand up in front of a bunch of people and they're clearly not being themselves or well, you'll know the person and then they'll get up and you'll be like who are you? you're using all these funny words yeah, and saying yeah. all these things and it's it's weird but i i think when i first started work i was a lot more malleable like i would check and i think that goes back to like this whole bro culture thing where if i'd have joined a plate like the place i joined to start off with actually was quite advanced for these sorts of things and actually at the time looking back on it i thought it was kind of crazy like i i was kind of like i was not thought it was crazy but i was shocked by how strongly they would kind of they had the sense of what you could and couldn't do and like you said before like it was going to get called up and i was kind of like whoa this is almost like not oppressive but it's kind of like it was really in my quite face strict. yeah it was quite strict and i was you know we just come from university where every other word was an f-bomb yeah and sort of now i'm in this place where i weirdly in uk culture f-bombs at work are completely fine as yeah, well we yeah. have a lot of strange things in america i think that's not oh really i think it depends where i swear a lot at work oh yeah everywhere i've been it's quite hard not to swear on the podcast Yes. <laughs> yes, which we have been trying to do vaguely. <laughs> vaguely. I, I think I don't think Apple are gonna. They're go, it's going to be more of the other stuff I said that wasn't back with statistics that's going to get us pulled from, <laughs> <laughs> from the Apple podcast. I think rather than the swear words. But yeah, no, I think. But now I think I'm a lot less malleable. Mm. Like I still feel it a bit, but then I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be myself. Like these people and. A guy at work, is always, a guy that is non-technical at work, mm -hmm. has always said, he said to me, having watched how a smallish team has worked, he's always said that I don't suffer fools. Yeah. And I feel like that's my personality generally. I don't feel like no. anywhere else I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I generally call people up if they're talking rubbish. Rubbish. Or if I think that what they want to do isn't a good idea. Yes. So I feel like 
but I feel like that's also a, a personality trait that if you immediately started a job and were immediately like that, it could come across quite badly. You need to work yourself into it. So you've got to, there's ways of doing that, right? So I'm not saying that I just go in and be like, right, this is all crap. We're going to just, you know, we're getting rid of all this. I'm going to do it better because I'm better than whoever the idiot is that wrote this. Yeah. Maybe what I'm thinking actually was what I was thinking when I was at the current place, but you've got to start from yeah a more approachable manner, right? When When you brought up this topic as a topic of conversation at first i thought i didn't have anything to say much and then i started thinking about it more then i flashed to are we programmers and then yeah, I, yeah which is a good point actually i didn't even that didn't even cross my mind and then i started thinking about bad traits in people i've worked with and okay. then i thought of like quite a long list and then i was like man i have like half of these and actually what was so, on your list well so i also don't suffer from <laughs> yeah. which is something that my my dad is the same and like it i'm okay with people doing something wrong with like business stuff but technical engineering stuff i really struggle with it mm. like if somebody's doing like somebody just doesn't seem to be doing their job very well yeah i've worked with some really great people like one of the jobs i don't want to go into too much detail i have a job where i build the front end and they build the apis yeah, yeah. and i know how to build apis and i have a reasonable sense of you know like i've built lots of apis i just happen in this job to be taking the role of i build the front end first guy i work with built excellent APIs. Everybody else they've sent before, like he's busy now. He's still there. He's busy. I'm kind of like sweating. Like they'll send me the API and I'll have to go back and be like, I really like, this isn't consistent with the API you made last week. Like, let alone like whether it makes sense. And it's like, I just can't handle that kind of, I I think another trait, which perhaps I suffer from and a lot of people suffer from, and it's particularly with technology stuff, I think it applies to other things, but when you have an idea of how something should be done and you can't let it go... Yeah, you can't accept anybody else's work. Yeah, you just yeah. become attached. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be technical, but I think with technological things, you can get to the point where there's a lot of... You know, you just really hold on to things for the sake of it. Well, there's never, the thing is with a lot of technology problems, there's never just one way to solve it, right? There's never yeah. one that's holistically... You can just objectively be like, that's definitely the better way to do it. There are in some cases, but in most cases, it's like, well, we could do this in three different ways. Yeah. And you're like, well, I picked number two, so I want to do it that way. Yeah. But sometimes the thing is as well, though, is that I completely agree with what you're saying. But in the same breath, sometimes I know that other people are wrong <laughs> or that their thing is suboptimal. Yeah, because so, they might not be think they might be thinking the objectives of their solution or the outcomes of their solution. You're seeing it differently, right? Like they could be thinking, "Well, this will be done in two weeks," mm-hmm. and you're, but you're thinking, "Well, in six weeks' time, this is really going to cause us a problem when we want to do this other thing that we're probably going to want to do, mm-hmm. but we haven't spoken about yet." Those sort of things, yeah. technical debt requirements are king. We uh, we probably need a whole episode on requirements, but it's it's like, but the thing is. Yeah, we should talk about it separately. The thing, the problem with requirements is that you need to work off the, the. You can never assume the requirements are right, basically. Well, even if you get no requirements, then you sort of make them up on the fly. But it's it kind of comes back to what we said before about um, testing and whether you should write tests. It's that mm. cost benefit analysis of like which which parameters are the most important. Is it like how long we're going to deliver this? How long is it going to take to deliver this? Or is it like how many how many man hours it's going to take or it, like there are all these different things how performant it's going to be how maintainable it's going to be what's the long-term yeah. cost of ownership of like doing it this way but the thing is when you first get into engineering you don't so i think but, when but, I was, but how do you how do you get around that problem of um you know forget um not being too tied to your solution to a problem i guess if you're not developing it 
you could be like, well, I'm less bothered. He's... But if the problem is something that you're going to develop and there's somebody saying you can't do it the way you want to do it, I find that very hard. I would find that very hard to I accept s- that. I struggle immensely with these problems. And the way I've solved it is I don't work with other people very much anymore, mm-hmm. which is not necessary. Which when I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking, gosh, maybe that's a slight not a good aspect of my personality or work character but I struggle when I ran my company it was actually very easy because I was like the benevolent dictator Mm. and I just dictated how everything was going to go and obviously I made all the right decisions and all the software was brilliant but one of the guys that worked for me started his new job and he was like immediately describing situations where they were doing things in the way that me and him have an understanding it would never be done with the technology they used and they want to do it a different way. And I'm like, well, dude, you need to go and argue the talk yeah. with them and yeah, make yeah. a case. And, and and part of that is working in more than one place, seeing how the same thing can be done differently. Yeah. Because if you only work in one place, you're going to get, and particularly if you don't work there for a long time, you're going to get skewed to that way of thinking just everywhere. You You get, the thing is, I think as I'm getting older, it's getting worse. I think as well, there's like a um, thing, my view of things has changed as I've got older, the things I'm optimizing for have changed. And that would mean that I would make different recommendations on how to solve problems now than I would have done five yeah. years ago because I'm like... But you also, you could argue you know more now. Yeah. You, you've you, seen more You've seen more projects front to back and you've seen the problems you get towards the end, which then is affecting the way you start projects. Yeah. Right? A lot of things about software engineering are counterintuitive, unfortunately, which is yeah. what makes it very hard. There's lots of things that if on first principles, if you think about it, you think... You think on like... You think about something, but not super deep. You're like, oh, what are we going to do? I oh, will throw more people at a problem yeah, to solve it. it. Never works. But, but like, you you watch that happen two or three times, and then you think. So experience does make a big difference, and there's a you get burned. You watch other people get burned. That's probably the best way to learn because yeah. then you don't actually have to suffer the pain yourself. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that's one. There's a lot of different. So what else was on your list of? I'm trying to think. So like people getting. Kind of, which I'd imagine isn't just a software thing, but yeah. I think it's particularly there's something about it because, like, if you're into software and you do it as a career, you probably care a lot about certain things. Maybe not everybody, but yeah, I end up caring almost too much. Mm. It's, I would say I have that similar problem. I'm very much wanting to do things in a certain way, and it frustrates me to think that people I do also feel ways. that if I work with the right people, like I know a whole bunch of people who I think a lot of them did go to university with us. And maybe that's like a bias of like where we think the same sort of way. But I feel like if you and I or one of our other friends from university were to work on a problem with people that I like, know and respect, I wouldn't have these problems is it as tr- much. Is it a trust thing then? Maybe it's a trust thing. But I feel like you and I, I feel like if we got to a point where we couldn't agree and you were like, I'm just going to do it my way, I wouldn't feel the same as I feel watching people Maybe it's trust. I don't think it's trust though, because there's people I've met much later who I've then been like, yeah, no, this this person. And and the other thing that's really interesting is most problems with with these people that I just gel with will give the same roughly the same solutions or very broad strokes the same solutions to the same problems anyway, and agree in like twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. Whereas I've worked with things where to me it's like night and day, black and white. Yeah, and I yeah. cannot change their mind. I think that's one of the things that's hard yeah, about that's true. going into other companies is there's a lot of inertia. If somebody's already doing something, yeah. the emphasis is on you to be like, don't do it like that, do it like this. And then they're going to be like, well, we're already doing it like that. So it's another good point, though, is that we're talking about 
joining a company and trying to be yourself or we're encouraging that yeah. to a degree but it, that is i mean it is a it is a particular problem isn't it going into somewhere and being like right they're saying this is how we do these things and you're like well in your head being like well that's horrendous but knowing full well that maybe you know it's an early early part of a project and you've seen a year down the line when you're maintaining it and being like well this is this is really not the way to do this yeah and having had that experience that they haven't had yeah but actually trying to have that conversation with them as a new person coming in i mean i, I just think it, those sort of things are tough and that's where you again in a slightly different way you're trying to conform and do things, you know, be accepted in the group. And then you're saying, well, maybe it, maybe I'm making technical decisions, dif- making technical decisions differently because I feel like that's the way these guys would want me to do it, even mm. though I feel like it's the wrong way. And it's all about, I feel a lot of this is about sort of fitting in. Yeah. And, and then... Compromise. Compromise. But I'm, I'm you not... compromise perhaps the wrong, it, compromising too much to fit in maybe mm. and not having an honest discussion with these people. And I feel some of that is due to the... If you're a member of a team and you've got somebody new starting, I feel like I've seen it so many times where they start and they just sort of get left to their own devices a little bit because they're like, oh, well, they're getting up to speed mm. with their email. They've got to check out the code and build it. And for some reason, that's sort of just uh, they need to do that on their own rather than you as a team, even if it's a team of three, two or three being like, oh, you've started. Let's all spend a bit of time with you, get you help, you know, help out, get you up to speed. So you feel integrated from the start rather than them being like sending you a wiki page and yeah. you sort of sat on the outside and they're still going you know to get coffee together yeah. not inviting you know I feel like there's a lot you can do as the team itself onboarding is a yeah. thing that I think a lot of people get really wrong yeah my yeah and that's what I think and I think that then plays into how that person feels yeah it makes a really big difference to and how then maybe maybe affects the culture as well yeah another place what I was thinking about before this was um, GitHub open source software pull requests and issues mm. is a place which normally is all right but can descend and i've read some stories where women that contribute to open source have anonymized themselves because they felt that their prs just always never get just merged. got a reject or just, just get ignored or, or just yeah or like, because they were women that's what the implication i guess but that's what they felt I, i've read it but on Hangout i have to worry. i feel like i've I've heard about that as well. Yeah, we're never going to find that link, but we'll try for you for the show notes. Yeah. But, but yeah, I've, I've, it can descend. Well, and, and, and an interested related point, of course, was uh, Linus himself recently. Uh, he's always been historically known for being a bit of a pain in the ass, and he actually realised that perhaps it had got out of hand, and he took it. He had a, a four-week period where he stepped away entirely from Linux. Really? Um, and didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, did you not? Oh, yeah. So well, this was just before Christmas. Really? So he... He just realised it got out of hand. Yeah. He officially was like, I think this is, you know, we've got this code of conduct of how people are supposed to behave because of these things that had happened before. But then people were saying... Of which he must have been the main offender. Yeah, well, exactly. So, <laughs> so then, we should explain who he is. Yeah. So uh, Linus Torvalds, if you don't know who he is, is the guy who invented and wrote Linux, yes. the operating system. He, on his own, in the 80s wrote this operating system and since then has been the not necessarily the primary developer but he is the guy that decides um 
what goes into each Linux release. He has subordinates that help him in different areas, but he's the man with the golden key. Lieutenants, I think he yeah. calls them. I think that's the term. Uh, in different areas, so like IO and... And they have like a... And Git was obviously, if you're not aware as well, Git was his... Uh, he wrote that as well yeah. to help specifically with Linux development, which is why it has some interesting design decisions, primarily because that was the way they were developing. So anybody can contribute code and then it goes to like up like a hierarchy so to his lieutenant yeah. and then he ultimately gets to decide yep or no yeah so i think a lot of the time now apparently he just accept that the lieutenants he has he tends to trust enough yeah that he will just accept all of them yeah. but he is the guy that goes right now we're gonna start the release candidate version and push it out mm-hmm. and just before christmas I, I i will be able to find this one i think um for the show notes he was like i need to step away because he's he realized I don't know what happened specifically, but he was like, I've got to take some time away. <laughs> so this guy started in the 80s, as Jess said, and there used to be like a lot of university mailing lists, I think. Mm. And so he really started communicating with the internet on mailing lists because he, he's pretty old. And all, all of the Linux dev is still on a mailing list. Oh, is it? Yeah, so, yeah. And basically there are all these archive emails from the mailing list where he poops from a great height on other people and it's not... I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, part of me kind of thinks that it's. Fu- it would be funny if it was like in the show Silicon Valley. It's kind of not funny in real life. And this yeah. guy's obviously a genius, and he's contributed like way more than like he's famous for that reason. Yeah, and like, yeah. So he, so he was. He is of the opinion that he should be honest when he doesn't like people's code. But he's because, also offensive. But that's the problem: is that it strays from. Maybe even um, insulting comments about code, which I think you could be like that. Okay, yeah, um, perhaps your code is naff, but it goes on to him insulting the person who's written it, which is obviously not okay. But that's been a standard way of him doing code reviews since you know for the last twenty years. It'll be like, yeah, he'll be like, he'll be like, you know, what, what sort of idiot writes? this and you'd be like well I, I don't know you know i'm just trying to contribute you should yeah and he's like you sh- you know it's very brutal but just as a, just to keep it on track for a second yeah so he took some time off because he felt that he wasn't adhering to the code of conduct which they'd written primarily because people were complaining about the review process in um the linux development tree so there's a subreddit dedicated called Linus Rants. Okay. And here's one from 15th of August 2018 to give the listeners a flavour. Yeah. He said, in fact, if the reason stated as it makes debugging easier, then I fart in your general direction <laughs> and call your mother a hamster. I don't, I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's kind of, that's not, that's not a particularly bad one. No, that's on his scale. It's, it's not bad. But again... It's that line he's crossed. He he, the co- the culture that he has created in that particular community. I wouldn't say it's transcended the whole software open source community, but like there's it's ridiculously toxic. Yeah. And as much as I admire, it's the same in the way of Elon Musk. Like yeah, you admire somebody's achievements and like the things they're doing professionally, but at sometimes they conduct themselves. I mean, you can't really compare. I think Linus had his conduct has been consistently worse. Yeah. Like, like, like he, if he had a normal job, he'd have been fired a very long time ago. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Cause he just like yeah. personally attacks people. But, but I'm hoping that, you know, he's, 
these sort of things that they're trying to he's trying to get better finally and try and be less insulting and hopefully and again that's because this sort of stuff is coming to the fore now and people are realizing it's unacceptable you know stories of women developers changes being ignored or rejected for it seems no real reason yeah yeah he's unacceptable yeah yeah i'm glad you brought him up what a topic we could have a whole episode just on him he's incredible life but he just i can't really i can't read out some of the things he said but he's yeah yeah, he said some some bad absolute shockers and like we all feel that way when someone does some crappy code don't get me wrong Yeah, yeah but there's a difference between thinking it and saying it right yeah and he just doesn't, maybe he just doesn't have that bit plugged in because it's all dedicated to just making Linux awesome or something, mm. I don't know. But. I think, yeah, and you, like you say, you can't underestimate the contributions he has had to society. Yeah, oh, massive. Um, yeah, like how many oper- how many operating systems are Linux in the world? It must be like two thirds or something ridiculous. Well, how much stuff runs on an OS, which is primarily, which is written by random people that you don't know. Yeah, open source is quite amazing. But yeah. Any other any other bad practices or good ones? Bad ones are so much more fun though. Yeah. In terms of just like culture, office yeah. culture and like team culture. I think I think something that although we are a particularly male we're more or less you know male dominated uh, office in, in my current place, I feel like something that we didn't do enough was socializing. Mm. No, I explicitly want to say socialising rather than drinking. Unfortunately, socialising... Yeah, they generally, <laughs> particularly in, in in this industry. But I feel like even amongst... We had a lot of people start in quite a short period of time, but nobody really knew each other. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely felt like it took a long time for us all to even get to know each other and sort of gel as a team. Yeah. Um, although everybody worked well professionally. And I feel like that was because nobody ever... We never tried to organise anything socially. And the group of people that we have in the tech team where I am aren't particularly like they aren't on the sort of bro side of the developer. They're not all like going out on on the, on the lash. It's more, they're all quite quiet. So it's more that we had to, we would have to force people to sort of hang out together. And I feel like we should have done more of that mainly just so then people got to know each other better. And it didn't even have to involve a drinking at all. Could have just been like, you know, bowling or we did, um, Bounce, which is like a table tennis place for our Christmas party, which was actually really good fun. Yeah. But that was like the only thing we did last year. Yeah. So yeah, that that would be one thing that I think people should you should be thinking of social social activities that perhaps don't require drinking. That would be a really that would be quite a useful. One. Yeah, and I don't know how common it is in other countries, but like the drinking mm. culture here, I, I think that's another thing that in thirty years, like it's quite normal to our, our generation aren't going to fix it, but I feel like maybe the next one will be like, hang on a minute, we're we're drinking at work during a meeting, or like it's mm. just complete things with alcohol. Like I feel like if they legalized marijuana, it would not be acceptable to be like come in on a Friday and be like. I was stoned off my face yesterday yeah. and today I can't really do much work. Like that would be weird. But if you came in and you were like, ah, oh, just drunk like eight pints and you know, oh, I got a terrible sleep and it just somehow that's okay. Missed the last train home and ended up at the end of the line or whatever. Like, yeah. Common stories you have. It's that's fine. Cause it's just a cultural thing. And it's, yeah. it's strange. I did think of another one God. when, which you've reminded me of with Linux, which is in the first place I worked, we had people kind of like that, which were quants or strats, as they called them there. And they would just be really mean to people in a corporate environment over email. Not 
they wouldn't swear or but they would be or insult your mother in, or insult your mother or tell her that she's what the, hamster a hamster or something and fart in your general direction but they were they were just kind of they were obstructive and it was very much a them and us yeah between two sets of programmers because they viewed themselves as, as higher higher up in yeah. the hierarchy because they were so like quants or strats in financial terms it's like they do stuff that's more financial but with code Better than like uh, trading models or yeah, statistical yeah. analysis for directly for the traders who are making buy and sell decisions yeah. for the bank. Or their or their own stuff will just trade. I don't know, but it's and in, and they were and then I spent some time in a team of quants in my second job and like they were all perfectly nice, but I think there's a culture there which is weird because it's not just a tech thing; it's actually a finance thing again, but to do with tech. And they were it's very much them or us, mm. and I think even. Definitely a, a thing where they were just mean to... And they were okay to other strats or quants. And- I think that's a big problem with big, the bigger organisations, though. There's a lot of us and then other... Then them, whoever they are. I think we... I don't know if we did talk about it on the podcast or not, but we've talked about it before. Having a support team mm. who look after you or, or the deployment team. Yeah, I think we did talk yeah. about that in testing, yeah. Yeah. Where, for us, when I was at my first place... It was definitely us and them. We weren't one team no. deploy, uh, uh, developing and deploying our application. It was us, the developers, them, the idiots that can't deploy it. Yeah. Whereas it's clearly like, well, we're all working for the same team. You all got the same goal. Yeah. But but there's that absolute, like, us and them. That kills me in big companies. I, I hear stories of other friends of mine that have stayed in bigger companies and they'll be like, you know, today my contract was renewed in my job. And I said, oh, are you going to send the contract out? And he went, oh, I've chased, I've chased HR who have chased legal or something. Oh, and I was dear. like, oh, like, can there not just be a person that sorts this out? But, yeah. But yeah, I know that is, that's actually probably more common is people to people conflict, especially within a team. It's not as common as team to team. Yeah. Team to team can be, you know, like, oh, and you get into this weird mode where people are doing, they become part of like a little tribe or unit, which is their team within an organization, and they stop behaving in a way that's optimal for the large organization yeah. and is only optimal for their team. Yes. So they'll yes. be like, we really need you to do this thing, but we need Dave for like three hours to like really help us and it will be massive. And the amount of resistance. Yeah, they'll be like, be, no, 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 no. No, Dave is uh, a resource that's been allocated to this project. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but this other thing's clearly more important. And it's like, well, no, because, you know, there's that kind of like inter-team. I mean, it's not, I don't know if it, it is a cultural thing, I suppose, because some companies, so. Yeah, so when it's smaller, it's easier. But there, for some reason, there's that, that, that um, perhaps blame culture. Where you, as the you know the leader, you know, the manager of your team, is like, oh well, you know those guys have screwed us over. You know it wasn't our fault; it was their fault. Mm-hmm. You know you, you're trying to offload that blame to somebody else, and then you end up thinking, well, those guys screwed us over. But actually, what the manager should have said is that our deployment doesn't work properly. But we're just we're just blaming the deployment team. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's taking ownership for when there's issues. When you're in a small team, and it's like me and you. And the deployment doesn't work. I don't go, oh, and you've done it for whatever reason because I was away. I don't go, oh, Rich, you've screwed it up. Yeah. It would be like, oh, it didn't work. Yeah. Let's fix it. Because yeah, you wouldn't be like that with your colleague that you work with. Yeah, you wouldn't be like, oh, you just did it wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And I, it's in some of these bigger, like when I read a lot about Tesla, 
who some ways seem haphazard, but they they seem to be trying to create a culture of just like if you need something, just go there and do it yourself, or get the other person, or like mm. it's kind of just they they seem to want to empower everybody to just be able to do everything. So if you need to do something to get your primary task done, you can just go and figure it out. And but I guess there's still a level difference, right? Because the people who are making the, or on the factory line, I think, have the op- complete opposite, aren't they? From what I've heard, yeah, that is. That is a weird separation <laughs> that they have. But I think in general, it's like, like, that's the right way. Like, they started a factory in, like, a, you know, they've not taken it to, like, you know, China or somewhere. They've left it in the US. And But I, but then I feel like that's a similar thing that you do with, like, potentially, like, a developer team versus a support team, right? Mm. So a support team generally isn't allowed to think off off plan they're supposed to follow the guide or escalate appropriately they're not allowed to yeah. necessarily do that and it ends up you end up with a, a similar problem where those guys are basically just following a script and then immediately escalating it to the people who are allowed to think for themselves yeah that cross team culture is yeah yeah that's hard i think you kind of it's it's less personal isn't it you can hide behind like your boss or something mm. and it is just kind of and you can hide as a team unit right it's yeah not, yeah you know Somebody says we've screwed up. It well, it's unlikely to be specifically aimed at somebody because that would be perhaps considered mm. unprofessional. Mm. But it would be easy to be like, oh well, it's the uh, KDB development team have screwed this up, or is the reason this this is late? And then it's like, well, you're hide you as whoever's working on it hiding behind the are hiding behind the team, right? And yeah. The team then is the manager or whoever's representing it are going to defend you because that's what he's sort of got to do. Yeah. When as but then perhaps that's wrong to some degree. They should actually be like, well, yeah, we have screwed up here and we're trying to fix it rather than being like, no, 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 the actual reason is because the business didn't sign off on X, Y, and Z. You know, it's always like passing the buck. How do you handle mistakes at work? What, like when, if you screw up, what's your, what's your playbook? What do you do? I guess, it, I guess it depends on how you... It depends on what you mean by screwing up, I suppose. Like for me, that would be... The end result of that would be that we're not capturing some data that the business needs. Yeah, so you deploy to production and you, I guess data loss is always more, or maybe an outage is bad, but data loss is like probably even worse. Yeah, people are generally not happy about the lack of data. Data, well, because an outage is like move on and it doesn't happen again. And some people were annoyed for a period, but data loss is like that can't be undone. And you've kind of like lost some of the integrity of the data you're trying to capture. That's bad. But let's say you like lost a bit of like you released something to production and it broke, like it happens, it broke something and something bad happened, like either an outage or like, and then you fix it. Hmm. Or yeah, let's say you fix it. Like you're going to obviously going to scramble to fix it. Then yeah, you fix you'll probably it. fix it first, I would imagine. How do you handle it after that? What are you doing? I tend, uh, the couple of times that I've done it, that it's happened that have been reasonably serious at the c- current place, I've just been honest with the people and just said, look, uh, there's only me working on it. So if it doesn't work, <laughs> there's, no one, else to blame. there's <laughs> no one else to blame. Unless, I mean, even if it was, um, even, well, the, the, Applications that provide the data to my system aren't written by me, mm. so I, in theory, I could pass the buck if I wanted to. But generally, generally, I'm just honest with them, and I say, "Look, um, this is the problem." Now, whether the person you're telling is a reasonable human being or not is a different question as to whether they'll. Um, but generally, I'll be like, "Look, this is this is what's happened. I fixed it." Yeah, is always important to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is what's missing, and being trying to be as accurate as possible as to what's missing. And then 
I would all for us then it would always be a case of is there any way to recover what's missing? Yeah. yeah. So internal, like if we were missing trades that we'd done, we know I know that there's a way to recover that from a different source because we also put them into SQL for legacy reasons. Yeah. So I would be like, these are ones that are missing. We actually have a procedure in place to recover this missing data. But you could say this other data set, it's missing and there is no recovery. So yeah, I think definitely getting your ducks in a row and like having a concise story of what happened, the fact that hopefully you've already fixed it and if there is anything else to be done or things to stop it from happening again. Yeah. Like people and then being honest. But when I was talking um, to my other half, she was saying, maybe it's a cultural thing because she's a trader. She was sort of saying, oh, never apologize. And then we were talking. I was like, what do you mean? Because I'm the same as you. I think being honest, pe- people will always well, surprise I mean, it's you. interesting about, being, about apologizing. I, I didn't actually, I don't think I would say sorry that there had been a loss of data. I'd just be like, there has been. Yeah. I don't think I'd, I, I wouldn't apologize personally. Yeah, that's interesting. I would just say, I would, you know. Yeah, we could we could dig out an old email, but I I would be like, this is what's happened. Yeah, you you wouldn't necessarily. And we're trying to you know resolve it or something. I think I think there's a difference between yeah not apologising and admitting blame or like do you know what I mean like accepting responsibility yeah. properly, not a politician's way like not. And I think it's one of those things like you want to. I was listening to the. Basecamp guy's talking about it, but he was saying when you screw something up and you have an outage and you're communicating with customers about it, you want to own it, like overcommit to it and say, this is like the end of the world. We really screwed up hmm. and not caveat it and say, but you know, AWS went down and whatever. He And he was saying, if you overcommit to a thing like that, then you'll, people will then normally say, oh, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you to- Whereas if you say, you know, we re- you know, we you were just like, oh, up. this thing happened. No, no big deal. And everyone's like, well, it was, well, a, big it deal was a big deal yeah. to me. Yeah. So he was basically saying that you have to completely and totally own it. I think that's more for like a PR thing, though. Yeah. Like when you're in a company, then it's your boss. And I think what what me and my wife were talking about, and what she suggested, which I thought was quite good, is to perhaps on a publicly, if you're, especially if you're in a company with other teams, publicly, I think you have one line, but to your direct boss or team or almost on an individual one-to-one basis, you might have a different line. So she was sort of saying she would potentially admit blame much more openly in a one-to-one situation than in a broader situation. So she wouldn't broadcast an email being like, I messed up, what was I thinking? Or not what was I thinking, but she wouldn't necessarily say, look, I made a mistake, blah, 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 over a big email to a load of people. Mm. But if she met her boss one-on-one after it, because obviously like, They'll know there's been an issue. She'll have solved it, but she'll put a brave face on it to a wider group. And but it depends at the point that you're hiding what the issue was, right? Yeah, it's more like not hiding it, but like spinning it. So, so I think for me, the more you spin it, so if you say, "Oh, you know, this happened," you could just you could just not. I I could agree with saying you're not going to apportion any blame. You're just going to 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 a wide distribution issue. You could be like, "This is the issue." Facts. Yeah, you could be like, "This is the issue." Um, oh, sorry. This is the this is what you're seeing. We found the reason, we fixed the reason, um, and we're going to work to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, you can leave it at that. I'm not. I would protect. I would agree that you. I know. To say, it, I think you. You're not going to be like to a you know big group of people. You know, I screwed up. I only half asked tested this, and you know, yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, I made a mistake. You know, whoops. Uh, but 
you know, sorry about that. I, I agree. I wouldn't send that to a big list. And then, yeah, per, you know, to your local team or whatever, you could say, look, actually, you know, I did wrong. I, I, I this test was wrong or I, I actually just missed out a bit of this code. I didn't commit. Yeah. It's happened before, right? Um, yeah, I, I do. I do get that. But yeah. I wouldn't, I would never, I would never hide from the fact. I would never hide from the issue. Uh, I would never try and sugarcoat the issue, that, yeah. which is different. I, I did wonder if that's what you were saying, but I would never say, "Oh, the issue isn't as bad as they thought." I would always yeah. just say, "Look, this is the issue you're seeing. There's, there's this, there's this potential reason that we we've, we've now fixed. Let's see how it goes." I think you're right as well. I said about apologising. I don't think I'd ever apologise because I don't nothing, think you should. No, you shouldn't. There's nothing to apologise. Like people are going to make mistakes, and like you said, I think you, I think in the heat of solving an issue, you go with facts. Yeah, like what went wrong, what you're doing to fix it. And then maybe afterwards you debrief and say, how are you going to stop it happening again? Yeah. GitHub do... Post... Uh, post... Post-mortems or what they call them. But... Uh, root cause analysis. Yeah. RCA. They do some brilliant ones. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think... But I think being honest... Being honest in business... I don't know. Maybe I've not been in business or, like, at work long enough. But I feel like the more honest you are... At the right times, especially one on one, the way you can behave with people one on one is very yeah. different to in a groups or in a email or a place but where I, it's going to be wider. I think what's interesting about that is I think that could potentially affect the culture of the company. If you feel like individually you can say something that you could never say to a group of people, I wonder whether that's a problem. Yeah. So say you know if we were in a team of ten, but I could say to you, I've completely screwed this thing up. Yeah. But I fixed it. And nobody really knew. Yeah. Why is that? Whereas if we went to then to a stand-up and they said, what have you done today? I'd be like, well, actually, I found this issue that I've screwed up that fortunately hasn't impacted us, but I fixed. You wouldn't. I don't think people would do the second. I think they'd do the former. They'd be like, tell their mate that they messed something up. I don't think they'd announce it, but I feel like that perhaps is a an issue with the culture. Suboptimal, isn't it? Because it would be better just for everyone to be open about it. Yeah, it would. And it's similar with, particularly at big organisations, you get people that we well know that you know are just pen pushers they're not actually achieving anything but somehow they're always busy and somehow there's always something going on and you're like well why don't you just be i'm obviously that you're never going to be honest about the fact you're not doing any work but it's most of those people there's a lot of people that know that person isn't doing any work and it's like well why are we all talking about it behind that person's back yeah why are we not in a situation or a culture where we can either tell that person or we can raise it to somebody and they can maybe have a one-on-one with them. Culture at work is uh-huh. tough, isn't it? And it's all those sort of things that you've seen and you're like, yeah. "How? why are we letting this happen? Yeah, weird behaviours start to emerge when you... And those, are, I think those are some of the weird ones that you're talking about. You know, you, those things that I described there, those all happened in the big investment bank that I was saying culture, the yeah. culture was quite, you know, forced upon you. Yet, there's these weird things that are happening that you're like, well, that's not right. Yeah, like weird suboptimal. It's yeah. kind of, yeah, it's very... Very strange. I don't really know why those sorts of things happen, mm. but they just seem to... Yeah, they do happen. We've actually spoken about this topic a lot longer than I thought we would, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it will never be broadcast. Yeah, maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll Especially cut some beginning of half, I'm a little bit nervous about. I don't feel like anything we've said is bad. Some of it might be controversial, or some people might say that's not the right thing. Yeah. But hopefully they can understand. you can understand why... Yeah, they are the way they are. We are are. definitely not experts on... Because I feel like there are people whose job it is to talk about, especially some of the more sensitive issues we talked about in the first half, and they actually... There's a party line almost on what to say and what isn't, Mm. isn't okay. Like, they know... 
But that, but I, and but I feel like we sh- shouldn't suppress what people are thinking because if there's a party line, that means that whatever the real thing is, people don't want to say. Because mm. a party line implies that we've got to say this thing. It's not necessarily a party line, but it, it just becomes like there's certain things that you're that you, supposed to say that you're supposed to say, and certain things you're not supposed to say. I guess it's like political correctness, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we have not necessarily applied all of our political correctness. But another, I would bit- hope that we've just been honest about our observations and our yeah opinions on it without but happy to understand that they could be incorrect or not where we should be thinking well philippa if you're listening hopefully you're not too offended by some of the stuff i said earlier on <laughs> that's quite convenient having a name that goes both, both yeah philip and philippa philippa is his wife called philippa that would be unbelievable i assume not <laughs> i don't think you could be like we can't we can't uh... date how would you like to end? What What's your phrase for today? How would you say on the exit scale? Um, I don't actually know what they all mean, <laughs> but I'm going to say... Well, let's just say the bigger the number, the worse you think it is? Yeah. I think because of the editing job that I've got in front of me, I'll give it an exit three. <laughs>